we're reading 1 Corinthians uh, 6, verse 12 to 20. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are member of, members of Christ himself? Shall, the, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever, with, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins are... All other sins a person commits are outside their body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were brought at a, at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Hey, everybody. Yep. So today we're looking at the idea of true beauty. And so the staff team thought it would really only be fitting that we get our most beautiful preachers to be, uh, to be speaking this weekend. <laughs> Uh, but Tony Allen wasn't available, so I'm afraid you're stuck with me today. Um, how do you feel about your body? What kind of relationship do you have with your body? Because I think we all have very different relationships with our bodies, don't we? And in fact, our relationship with our body kind of changes throughout the course of our lives, doesn't it? So when you're a baby, your body is something you discover. and you learn to have fun with it and all of the things that it can do and the noises that, can, that it can make. Every two-year-old in the world loves farting. <laughs> and after a while, your body becomes a tool for fun and for adventure, climbing trees and riding bikes and growing up. But then you hit your teenage years and your body betrays you. It breaks out in pimples just before the big date and it's gangly and awkward and every teenager is angsty about their body. But then you hit your late teens and your early 20s and your body becomes a weapon for mass seduction. So you go to the beach and you strip down to your swimsuit and at least you're hoping that everyone on the beach is looking at you. But after a while, your body then becomes a tool. It becomes a tool for work or an opportunity to push yourself to achieve goals. For some of us, our body even becomes how we create life. And then we move into the neglecting years. In our 20s and 30s, when we're too busy, there's too much on to worry about our bodies. It's just what gets us around every day. We've got other demands. And so our bodies get neglected and they start to fall into a state of disrepair which is when our bodies fight back. We get the health scare, those early warning signs, the stroke, the heart attack, and we realize we've been taking our bodies for granted. We're not as young as we used to be, which leads to the midlife crisis when we rediscover exercise. That's where the mammals arise. You've heard of mammals, haven't you? The middle-aged men in Lycra, the scourge of the Fernley track. Hunter Bible Church has its mammals. But then as you get a little bit older, you start to make peace with your body. You become old friends. 
you start to forgive its imperfections and you're over the insecurities and you're okay with it now. And in fact, in some cases, we stop caring altogether. <laughs> Who cares? Let it all hang out. And you can imagine those would be great years, eating whatever you want. It'd be lovely to stay like that, wouldn't it? But eventually towards the end of life, our bodies fail us. They get weaker and weaker. And in fact, sometimes they can become a prison. The mind is still active, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. How do you relate to those stages? Are, are you at one of them very squarely at the moment, or are you in a different stage altogether? How do you feel about your body? This is actually one of those really complex issues, isn't it? it it taps into how we see ourselves and how we see other people. And it's an issue that Christians really struggle with. Am I allowed to care about my appearance? Or is that just shallow and worldly? Do Christians just focus on what is on the inside? How do I think about my body as a temple? Is it sinful for me to smoke? Is it sinful for me to be overweight? Lots of Christians are really confused about the way we feel about our bodies and about our appearances and the whole idea of beauty. And today, today we're hoping to get a little bit of clarity on our bodies and beauty as an idea. And it might actually be helpful to start by looking at one of the alternatives. See, the ancient Greeks, they really didn't care about their bodies very much at all. The ancient Greeks were really influenced by a fellow named Plato. And Plato said, your body is actually just a shell for the important part of you, which is your spirit. The important part of who you are, yourself, that's the spirit. That's the real you. And your body, it's just a vessel. It's kind of like a disposable Chinese takeaway container. You use it, you chuck it away. And this really affected how they saw life. So physical labor and people who did physical labor, well, they were seen as the lowest. The important people were the ones who used their minds. And isn't it funny how that's, that idea still infects our culture today? It's not a Christian idea. Christians believe all work is valuable, but we're still infected by Greek culture even now. And so for the Greeks, the way you treated your body, it really didn't matter very much. You can have sex with it or not. It doesn't matter. Or you can mistreat it. You can ignore it just as long as your spirit is intact. And it's funny, you know, the Corinthian church had really bought into this whole platonic kind of thinking. And you could see it with a whole bunch of issues. So we read in chapter six, some of them were sleeping with prostitutes and their justification was, well, food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God's going to destroy it all anyway. In other words, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. My body's just a machine and I put fuel in it and it goes and sex is just an appetite. That's how they saw sex. It was just an appetite. You have sex when you need it, but it doesn't affect your spirit. So have sex with a prostitute. Strangely enough, by the time you reach chapter seven, some of the Corinthians had even stopped having sex altogether, probably because they were thinking it was unspiritual. And to be a truly spiritual person, you don't do those body things like having sex. Do you see the division they had? A strong division between the physical and the spiritual. But Paul says that division, our bodies actually do matter. So look what he says next. He says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, 
but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. See, Paul says what we do with our bodies really does matter. The body's meant for the Lord. And he's going to, he's kind of talking about Jesus' incarnation there, but he's also just talking about our bodies are meant for the Lord. We're not just spiritual beings who worship God in our spirit. No, we serve God with our bodies too. We obey God and we please God with how we use our bodies. And God will judge how we use our bodies. Even more than that, Paul says Jesus had a body. When God became a human being, he took a body to himself. And in fact, Jesus has a body now. God raised Jesus with a human body. Right now, Jesus rules over heaven and will rule eternally with a physical human body. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says we will have bodies in the next world too. He says, not all flesh are the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. See, in heaven, you will still have a physical body. It's not like those old Philadelphia cream cheese ads where it's all ethereal. You'll have a, a physical body. It'll be slightly different to this body. This body's perishable. This body's been dishonored by sin and my, my heavenly body won't perish. It won't be dishonored by sin, but it'll still be physical. You're going to have a body for the rest of eternity. See, this whole thing of strongly separating out body from spirit and saying that the internal is the only thing that matters and the body is just a vessel, it's actually not very Christian. God gave you a body to enjoy and to use in his service. Jesus had a body. He still has a body. You'll have a body in heaven. All of which means far from our bodies being a bad thing, the enemy of our relationship with God, your body is a good thing. Psalm 139 is just a favorite psalm for lots of Christians. David says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So you can look into the mirror and say, God made that. And God's works are wonderful. Your body's wonderful. Not because it conforms to any worldly standard of beauty, but because God makes wonderful things. And in fact, this is actually one of the fantastic things about having a relationship with your creator, God. See, people who don't know God actually rely on the world to tell them what's good. They rely on the world to tell them what's beautiful and wonderful. They rely on Instagram and TV shows. And if my body doesn't conform to the latest supermodel or the latest movie star, then there must be something wrong with it. I should hate my body. But you don't need the world to tell you what a wonderful body looks like. God created our bodies exactly as he wanted them to be. And that makes my body a wonderful thing. I love this poster that you can see on the screen. 
I think it sums it up beautifully. Beauty is in the eye of the creator, not the beholder. And you know, when I get in touch with that, when I realize that beauty actually comes from God and the goodness of my body comes from the God who created it, it means that I can learn to forgive my body for the things that I don't like so much about it. I'd love to be two or three inches taller. That would make me the same height as Sam Hilton, six foot eight or whatever he is. I'd love to have hair. And the world says to me that my body is not ideal because I don't have those things. But the world's wrong. Now, I can forgive my body. It mightn't be exactly how I wish it was, but it is how God wants it to be. And beauty really is in the eye of the Creator. The challenge for me is just to learn contentment with the body God chose to give me. Do you see how Christians think about our bodies? God created us with bodies and rather than them just being a worthless vessel for our spirit, we use them to serve him. Jesus was born with a body, he was raised with a body and so will we be. And it's funny, you know, as we kind of think just a little bit about applying all this, I wonder if maybe Christians need to rediscover the goodness of our bodies. I wonder if in our Christian culture, we might have just slipped a little bit into thinking like Greeks, thinking that our bodies are bad things or that they don't matter. I think you can see it a little bit in things like health and beauty. So sometimes Christians will feel like they're being shallow if they like exercise or if they look after their bodies. In fact, Christian women can feel a real pressure that they're not allowed to care for their physical appearance or to even care about beauty. And certainly we'll feel guilty if we appreciate someone else's physical beauty. Somehow we feel like we're being shallow, we're selling out to the world. And look, there are dangers. I'm going to go into those a little bit later. But I want to say we can relax on this one a little bit. God gave you a body to enjoy. And he created it as something to be wonderful. And so there's nothing wrong with delighting in it and enjoying its beauty or enjoying its athleticism. Solomon says, the glory of young men is their strength. Their gray hair is the splendor of the old. That is, there's something fantastic about being young and strong and fit. And it's not the only glory. It gets replaced by perhaps a greater glory. But there is a glory in being young and healthy and vital. That's why we love the Olympics, isn't it? Because we get to see what this wonderful body that God created can do. And so if you love health and fitness, go for it. Enjoy the body that God gave you. It's kind of good to keep your body healthy. Sometimes Christians can be a bit disdainful of the whole health thing. It's just going to be destroyed anyway. It's all a waste of time. And yeah, look, our bodies are going to be destroyed. And yeah, your character is more important. But God gave you a good body for your lifetime. I think it makes sense to be good stewards of them. I'm not saying every Christian has to be an athlete. I'm not saying we should be health obsessed. But I think treating our bodies with respect does actually reflect their value. 
And I think the same is true with beauty. Have a look at these words from Song of Songs. Solomon says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Now look, I don't know about some of the imagery. I mean, just being thankful that his wife has all of her teeth. It's not really great praise, is it? But you get the sense there Solomon really loves and appreciates the beauty of his wife. And he celebrates it. There is nothing wrong with appreciating the beauty of our bodies. There's nothing wrong inherently with enjoying your looks or wanting to look your best. You don't have to if you don't want to. But I wonder if Christians actually need to be told you are allowed to enjoy beauty. If you want to go and wear fashionable clothes, go for it. If you want to change your hair colour, go for it. If you're going grey and you don't like it, feel free to change it. If you want to wear makeup, go for it. You don't have to, and you wouldn't necessarily want to spend heaps of time and money on it because it may not be that important to you. But God has given you a body to enjoy. So enjoy it. Now again, We're going to see some dangers. But what I'm saying is let's not denigrate or deny a good gift from God. So what have we seen? We've seen God makes good things. And he's given us bodies that are good and valuable and wonderful and we can enjoy them and use them to serve him just like Jesus did. And in heaven we'll get to have a new body forever. Now, of course, there are dangers. We live in a fallen world, and so our bodies are fallen, and moreover, the way we tend to use our bodies is fallen. So let me give you three dangers that we face, even as we enjoy the goodness of our bodies and beauty and so on. The first danger is turning our bodies, our physical bodies, into everything we are. Kind of the opposite of what the Greeks did. So yes, our bodies are part of who God made us to be, but they're not all of us, are they? There's so much more to us than just our physical bodies. Because that's one mistake that our world can make, isn't it? We measure people entirely by their physical health or by their beauty. That's why Christians, I think, get a little bit nervous about the whole concept of beauty, because we see the world misusing it. We see the world saying that physicality and beauty is everything. And so women especially, but more and more men as well, are being told to measure themselves by how smooth and firm their skin is and how shiny your hair is and how firm and slim your hips are. Really, what our world does is say, you have to look perfect. Because that's kind of the bar that the beauty industry sets, isn't it? They want me to buy their stuff, and so they constantly invite me to measure myself against perfection. We're about to see it now. Have you you seen this ad? It's a few years old now. Take a look look at it as it comes up on the screen. 
Now that really does expose the, the kind of lies of the beauty industry. It's kind of ironic that it's a beauty company selling us that ad. A bit like when Joe was talking about the, uh, the billboard that she saw. The beauty industry doesn't tell you that you have a body that God has made wonderfully. What it does is tell you how far you fall short. And what that ad shows us is they don't even use reality to do it. They manufacture and Photoshop an impossible standard that no human being can ever conform to so that you will buy their products. And the world kind of says you must do this. And at that point, I've kind of moved, haven't I, from enjoying a good gift of God, enjoying something that God has given me to explore and to test the limits of and, and to play with and to be thankful for. I've moved from enjoyment to enslavement. Enslavement to a myth. That is, our bodies, they're a wonderful gift, but they're a terrible master. And of course, it, treats, it leads us to treat other people terribly too, doesn't it? Men who judge women and score women by their appearance. Women who become jealous and spiteful of each other. Less sporting guys and girls who get laughed at and picked on because they don't match the athletic stereotype. And of course, we know why this is so wrong. It's because God sees us as more than our bodies. Our bodies are part of who we are, but we're so much more. We're also our character. And the message of the Bible is our character is the greater part of who we are. Our character is actually the core of who we are. So God says to Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart because God knows that that's where the greater part of who we are is. It's certainly where our biggest problems lie, isn't it? So Jesus says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. That is, the problem with me is not the ugliness of my features, it's the ugliness in my heart. That's, what wrong, that's what's wrong with me, not my jawline or my hairline. And in fact, that's what Jesus transforms within me, isn't it? What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the makeover that Jesus is really giving me. That's, that's, that's Jesus' fitness regime. It's a spiritual fitness. And so Christians, as much as we enjoy and are happy to say there, there is a beauty to the physical body that you can go out and enjoy it. We believe in a deeper beauty. We believe in a greater beauty, the beauty of godly character. And that's actually the distinction. That's where the Bible pushes us to establish our beauty. Both Peter and Paul call God's daughters, well, God through Peter and Paul calls God's daughters to build their beauty where God is building it. So Peter says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, Peter's not saying there 
that braided hair is bad. He's not saying that gold jewelry is bad. Remember, Solomon loved the beauty of his wife. Hair and gold, they're gifts from God. What he's talking about is what is the foundation of our beauty? He's talking about where we focus, what we most value, what's most important to us, and that is our inner beauty. And so I'd want to say women, and in fact, more and more these days, men too, can I urge you, we do need to fight the world on this one. I know it's hard when every day we get hundreds and hundreds of messages telling us that the exterior is the only thing that counts, but fight the world. Keep reminding yourself that God has made you exactly as he wants you to be and you can enjoy all of those things, but Jesus is transforming you day by day in your character. How do you know where you're at on this one? How do you measure your your health on this one, if you like? Look, can I give you two tests that will help you to identify where you think your beauty lies? The first one is just finish this sentence. What I want people to notice about me most is fill in the rest. Because that'll tell you where you think your beauty lies. Is it that you want people to notice your face or your waistline or your hair or your biceps and pecs and those sorts of things? Is it your clothes? What is it that you put forward to be noticed? The second test would be What kind of beauty do you spend more time developing? Do you spend half an hour on the outside and five minutes on the inside? Because that tells you something, doesn't it? See, we need to recognize and appreciate that beauty does have two kinds. And it's not that we ignore the external, it's just that we value the internal more. It's not wrong to enjoy the external, but let's have God's value systems And let's treat each other according to God's value system. So that's the first danger. But Peter actually kind of highlights for us the second danger when he talks about unfading beauty. Because the second danger that we have is to have a short-term view of our bodies and beauty. See, the world thinks that this body is the only one it'll ever have. And so they become obsessed with keeping this body young. But we know that God's giving us a new body, which means that as Christians, we can let this body age gracefully. Have you noticed our culture's obsession with youth? Everybody wants to look younger. Everybody wants to stay young. And of course, it doesn't work, does it? Because Peter says physical beauty is fading. No matter how hard you fight, your body is going to wrinkle and shrivel and sag and gray. In fact, I actually had to face it this week. This week I was sitting, and I was even working on this talk. This week I was sitting at our kitchen table and Emma brought me in the mail and it's time for me to renew my license. And I thought, awesome. What kind of license should I get? Should I get the one year, the three year, the five year? The 10 year one would make sense, wouldn't it? Because that would mean that I wouldn't have to renew my license before my 35th birthday. (laughs) 60. I'm about to turn 50. If I got the 10 year license, I wouldn't have to renew it till I'm 60. Look what the form says. You can only get a 10 year license up to the age of 44. What is it that they think is going to happen? Do they think that I'm suddenly going to go blind overnight? Well, actually, I kind of have to admit that just driving at night for me these days, 
is a little bit trickier than it used to be. The contrast between the glare and the darkness and come to think of it, maybe the one-year license is actually the one I should go with. See, the fact is my body is aging. It's only going to get worse. And things like disease and chronic illness are all part of just living in a fallen world. And just the humiliation of not being able to do the things we used to do easily. And look, the world's answer to this is fight. Fight the aging process to the grim death. Go out and buy more cream. Go and buy another fitness machine, the Ab Roller, Ab Cruncher, Double Decker, Wonder Whacker, or whatever the latest gadget for your fitness is. Fight. Because all you have is this body. But if you're a Christian, you know that is not true. One day, our imperishable, weak bodies are going to be raised in glory and death and sickness will be things of the past. That means I can make peace with my body aging. I can make peace with my beauty fading because this body was never meant to last forever. Now, speaking personally, I'm trying to keep my body healthy to get me to the end. I exercise, I swim four times a week. One, because I enjoy it. Two, because it's really good for my mental health. And three, because I kind of want my body to carry me to the end. But I'm okay with not being 25 anymore. I can forgive it as it starts to slow down and let me down because God has something better in store for me. In fact, a body that will finally be free of sin. Which leads us to the third danger. The third danger is saying that our bodies are ours to use for sin. That's the danger of using our bodies just to please us and to be sinfully selfish. Because that's the way the world sees the use of a body, isn't it? It's my body. I can do with it what I want, including sin against other people. So look how Paul speaks to the Thessalonians. He says, It's God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. See, see how Paul describes sexual immorality there? It's the lack of control, it's passionate lusts, and it's wronging other people. Basically, what the world says is, it's my body, I can use it however I want for my pleasure. And that means in, in this passage, if I want to use your body for my pleasure, that's fine. But Jesus says, no, 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 your body is not yours, your possession to do with as you please. No, your body is Jesus' possession. Remember our passage from 1 Corinthians earlier? We saw that Jesus had a body and was raised with a body and Paul also says, our bodies have been united to Jesus. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? I'm still actually not quite sure how this works. But if you're a Christian, in some way, your physical body has been united to Jesus. It's not just a spiritual union. Your physical body has in some way been united to Jesus. Your whole self has been united to Jesus. So since that's the case, should you use your body to sin? 
Should we be like the Greeks and say, well, nah, my body's just a vessel. I can do with it what I like. Should we be like the world and say, well, it's just sex. It didn't mean anything. No, because it does mean something. My body, what I do with my body actually affects Jesus. Paul says sexual immorality unites Jesus with sin. What a horrible idea. A couple of verses later, Paul says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in your body. Now that means our bodies aren't something that we use for sin. They're a way to be obedient. They're a way for us to be pure. They're a way for us to be faithful and holy and self-disciplined. When you think about it, all of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things have a physical component don't they? Our bodies are how we express the fruit of the Spirit. Now look, this idea that my body is not a tool for sin, but a tool to love Jesus, this affects loads and loads of decisions. Just for the sake of time, I'll just go into one of them. How I dress and how I present myself to the world. The world, the way the world uses dress and fashion and the way we present ourselves, beauty, is selfishly, right? So I get fit so that you'll be attracted to me. I choose clothes that people will admire and that will make people attracted to me. And I can gain power over your eyes and I can gain power over your desires by dressing in a way that's alluring. I mean, I say I, I'm not talking about me personally. For me, clothes are primarily a way of reducing nausea. But that's what a lot of fashion is, isn't it? I dress in order to gain a power over your eyes and your thoughts and your fantasies by way of my dress. I wear prestigious brands so that you'll admire me, to show you that I'm richer than you and I'm cooler than you and I'm more fashionable than you than I'm better than you. That is, for the world, appearance and clothes are about power for me. That's not how Christians think. No, for us, we say my body belongs to Jesus and I'm a servant of Jesus who is a servant of other people. And so the way Christians think is we... We dress as servants. I'll ask myself, what's going to be helpful for other people? What's going to help other people to be godly? What's going to help other people to praise Jesus? I don't want to create desire. I don't want people to feel inferior. I want to serve people. Which doesn't mean that we can't enjoy clothes. I kind of like clothes. It doesn't mean that we can't take care of ourselves. I like taking care of myself. But we submit our appearance and our enjoyment to serving God and loving other people. This is how we want to teach our teenagers in church to think, isn't it? This is how we want to teach our youth group and our emerging teens, the 10s to 13s. This is how we want them to to think about appearance and clothes. We don't want to create rules. I think in church communities, uh, we often end up with the modesty police where hemlines get measured and people judge each other. You can wear this, but you're not allowed to wear that. That's the mistake Muslims make. I'd rather give our teens a principle. Your body and your appearance and your beauty, it all belongs to Jesus. And you can enjoy those things. Enjoy your body. Enjoy your appearance. It's a good thing from God. But submit your enjoyment to your love for God and your service of other people. That gives us tremendous freedom, doesn't it? 
Christians can wear almost any style. We can wear clothes that express our personality. We can wear clothes that match our body type. But we're never about just pleasing ourselves. We're about pleasing our God and loving other people. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a youth group where the kids really thought hard, deeply, about their appearance and their clothes in that kind of way? I actually think from what I hear, we do have that kind of youth group. I'm very thankful to God for that. See, there aren't many ways that Christians are more different to the world than the way we think about our bodies and the way we think about beauty. But isn't God's way of thinking such an incredible gift? We have so much freedom to enjoy and revel in the created gift of God and we can actually navigate our way through the mess to see how we can love God and serve other people. Let's, let's pr- thank God for that and let's pray that we'll do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us bodies that are worth something, that we can use them to please you, that our bodies can be how we express love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness. We thank you that there's something to enjoy. We thank you for the way that we can push them to excel. We thank you that we can enjoy the way they look. We pray that in reaction against the world and its shallowness and its abusiveness, that we wouldn't become Greek here. We pray that we would have a full enjoyment of our bodies, but we pray that you would help us to be aware of the dangers. Please protect us from thinking that the physical is all of who we are. Please help us not to have a short-term view of our bodies where we cling for grim death to our youth. And certainly we pray that we wouldn't use our bodies to sin, but instead to serve. And Father, we long for the day when we will exchange this perishable and broken body for the perfect one that we'll have in heaven with Jesus. Amen.